we sang about, I will sing of my Redeemer. Last week we looked at a portion of Mark where Jesus said, unless someone comes to me and receives the kingdom of God like a little child, you know, he won't enter the kingdom of God. And the thought behind that was helpless dependency. A little child is very helpless as they're dependent. And we come to Christ, we need to be helpless and we need to be dependent. And as I thought about what we discussed last week and what several people shared with me, sometimes we discuss things, helpless dependence. What's that look like in daily living? Well, this morning we're going to look at the next portion of Mark where we have an example of someone who was not willing to be helpless that is helplessly dependent. But Lord willing, a couple weeks from now, we'll look at the whole issue of helpless dependency. And what does that look like in day-by-day living as we live as men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, children, students and employees? But this morning we want to look at Mark 10, 17 through 31. We won't get through the entire passage. But I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. As you're turning to Mark chapter 10, I would like to share the true account of a lady in her 30s who years ago was working on a college campus seeking to point students to Christ. And as she worked in this college campus, she would conduct a Bible study in the girls' dorm, and girls would come, some of them from the dorm, some of them lived off campus, but they would come to the Bible study. And as they were going through the Gospels and presenting what Christ had to say, she was emphasizing the cost of following Christ. Deny self, take up your cross, follow Christ, along with some of the other accounts where Jesus shared. And after one Bible study, a girl came up to her and said, Becky, I would like to be a follower of Christ. But in light of what we have been discussing, you know that I'm living with my boyfriend. Can I be a follower of Christ and continue to live with my boyfriend? How would you answer that girl's question? Think about that as we read Mark 10, starting with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, and keep in mind this would be immediately after the account of Jesus and the little children. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Mark is continuing to reveal Jesus Christ in this passage. Building upon, I think, the truth of Mark 10, 13 through 16, which dealt with helpless dependency. The rich young ruler, rather than choosing helpless dependency, chose independence. He rejected Christ. The passage is an example of a man who would not become helplessly dependent like a child. He chose a destiny. As we discuss this passage, keep in mind that the 12 continue to be with Jesus. They're in training. They're learning how to minister. The identity and character and being of Jesus continues to be revealed. Chapter 1 of Mark clearly states who Jesus was. Christ is continuing to be revealed. And keep in mind, again, that the context is very, very important. In the context of Mark, Christ had spoken about denying yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ. And he said, the cost to me is death. He talked about true, true greatness. True greatness is being a servant of all. He talked about laying aside party spirit and caring for one another. He mentioned about being salty in chapter 9, 42 through 50. He talked about living out God's design in marriage in chapter 10, 1 through 12 and appealed to Genesis 1 and 2. He talked about receiving the kingdom of God as a little child. That is helpless dependency. And then living in the kingdom of God as one who is helpless in their dependency. Our Kent Hughes says, and I quote, Jesus, Jesus' startling pronouncement to his disciples Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Set down for the disciples in all subsequent history that helpless dependency is necessary for entering the kingdom or being saved. In contrast, the rich man in this passage is very, the very opposite of a helpless, dependent babe. Matthew mentions that he had great wealth. Luke identifies him as a ruler. He was both affluent and powerful. Moreover, we discern from the whole 
of his exchange with Jesus that he was an aggressive, self-assured young man who went after what he wanted. He was what we call today an achiever. He was also exemplary of a good man who felt a need. Evidently, he had been listening to Jesus and was dazzled with his brilliance and moral excellence, so he decided to go for it. End of quote. Please interpret this passage in light of Jesus' call to discipleship. In light of the call of Jesus and what he said in verses 13 through 16, that unless one receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter it. A helpless dependency. So as Jesus is starting on his way after the encounter with the little children and rebuking his disciples, we find that a man runs up to him and he falls on his knees, calls him good teacher, and so on. And as we think about this passage, the account centers around three questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asking that. And who can be saved? It's also important to understand that eternal life, in verse 17, treasure in heaven, in verse 21, kingdom of God, in verses 23, 24, and 25, saved, in verse 26, leaving all to follow Christ, in verses 28 and 29, and eternal life in verse 30 are all one and the same. So Jesus is asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Part of his response in verse 21 is, you know, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. That's answering the question about inheriting eternal life. And then in verse 23, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So eternal life, treasure in heaven, kingdom of God, saved, leaving all to follow Christ, eternal life in the age to come, we're speaking about the same thing. All used, but speaking about the same item or items. Jesus addresses the entire Mosaic law in responding to the man. He begins with the last six commands, which dealt with the horizontal relationships, how you relate to others. And then he deals with the first four, you know, where the person's heart is in relating to God. Go sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. What did the man really love? It's interesting that Jesus does not debate with the man concerning his claim to be in obedience to the last six commandments. Jesus gave the commands. The man said, I've obeyed them. Jesus doesn't try to convince him that he disobeyed any of them. Jesus states two times how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
And then to add to that, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is mentioned three times. Verses 23, 24, and 25. Remember, the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ are intimately related. If you're referring to Jesus, you can say the kingdom of God. If you're talking about the kingdom of God, you can talk about Jesus. So the context indicates Jesus is leaving the area of Judea that he was in. And a man comes up to him, falls down, and poses the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man apparently had a desire to listen. He falls on his knees, admitting submission and earnestness. But he says, good teacher. Calling someone a teacher was common in that day. But to call someone a good teacher basically did not happen. Because if you called someone a good teacher, you're attributing to someone that which should only be attributed to God. That is good. But he says, good teacher. And how does Jesus respond? Why do you call me good? That question is saying, do you understand that in calling me good, you're calling me God? No one is good except God alone. So if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. Jesus apparently is attacking the shallow use of the word good on the part of this man because the man apparently was not convinced that Jesus was God. But the fact that Jesus continues to talk to the man after he is called good teacher clearly implies that Jesus was saying, I am good and I am God. Good teacher. He continues to talk to him. So he poses the question to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I do. The man thought he had to do it. No, that's common. What do I have to do? Today, people say, what do I have to do to have a relationship with God? What do I have to do to be saved? But he says, what must I do to inherit something future, eternal life? Used very infrequent in the Old Testament, but it definitely had to do with the future. What must I do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus appeals to the Ten Commandments. You know the commandments. Apparently the man probably was a Jew. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And how does the man respond? Teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. 
James Edwards says, and I quote, Christian readers may be inclined to doubt the sincerity of this announcement. Did Jesus show that evil intent is the same as deed in Matthew 5, 21 through 48? With the lone exception of the final commandment against coveting, however, the Ten Commandments speak of only acts. And these could have been indeed kept, even if one's intent was otherwise. In his pre-Christian days, Paul could also announce that according to righteousness by law, I was blameless. Strack and Billerbeck say that a person possessed the ability without exception to fulfill God's commandments was so firmly rooted in the teaching of the rabbis that in all seriousness they spoke of people who kept the entire Torah from A to Z. End of quote. This man was convinced that he had kept the commandments that Jesus had listed. And that was common where people, Jews, thought, I can keep the Ten Commandments. What is Jesus' response? He doesn't try to convince them, say, hey, you, you surely broke one of those commandments that I listed. Rather, Jesus looks at him. And the word, Lord, or the word look means to look attentively, to look searchingly. It's not a casual look. It's almost like he sees through the guy. But he looks at the man. And what does he say? Well, even before he says anything, he loved the man. And the Greek word for love here is agape. He loved him deeply. God's style of love. And then he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now he's answering his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you know, go sell the, everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That's a pretty radical call. It goes to the heart of what this man loved and what this man valued. To surrender one's wealth is very radical. So it's like someone saying to Bill Gates, Bill Gates, you want to have a relationship with God, give away everything that you have and follow Christ. just saw recently that Mark, the one who started Facebook, gave away $995 million to a charity. I thought, you know, that's a lot of bucks. But if you stop and think about what he has left. But here's a rich guy being told, take what you have. And the reason apparently he was told sell everything is because in that day, a lot of what a person would have had if he was wealthy would be in land. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. See, the, keep in mind this rich man in light of the Old Testament also would have had to thinking that this wealth that I have is a sign of God's blessing. 
Because God did bless Abraham, and he was wealthy. God did bless Isaac. God did bless Jacob. And other people in the Old Testament who walk with God, they were blessed. And this man's thinking, ah, I'm supposed to sell all I have and give to the poor, but this is a mark of God's blessing. That would have been his thinking. What is his response? The man's face fell. See, Jesus is offering himself as a substitute for the man's possessions. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to have money or anything else. That's not the issue of the passage. The issue of the passage is he's dealing with a man who was independent and he's trying to bring him to a helpless dependency. And the man's face fell. The Greek means to be grieved, to feel pain. And probably a progressive darkness. You know, we say a lot without even uttering a word. His face fell. And he walked away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. Here's a man in light of the text trusted his wealth. So he walks away Sad, because he was not willing to become helplessly dependent upon Christ. Again, the issue, I think, is an example of a man who was not willing to be helpless dependent. It's not an issue of the amount of wealth one has or how much wealth this man had. It was that his wealth apparently controlled him. See, Jesus wanted the man, not his wealth. Jesus doesn't run after the man. He lets him go. See, some of us might be tempted today and say, wow, that guy got some bucks. You know, we could use it in our church. We better go get him, and whatever we have to do, we got to make sure he comes to our church. Jesus didn't need his wealth. Jesus doesn't need anyone's wealth today. He wants people. He wanted the man. He wanted the man's heart. But the man was not willing to surrender. So he walked away sad. Would Jesus compromise himself to get the man to follow him? No. He let him go. He didn't run after him. He didn't beg. He didn't change the requirements. Sell your goods. (coughs) Give to the poor. Come and follow me. That's where that man was. Don't read anything beyond that. Don't try to make all kinds of application to your life as far as money or having to give money away and so on. It's a helpless dependency issue here. This man was not willing to be helplessly dependent. He wanted his wealth. 
Jesus then confounds it even further. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, and we'll pick up on this next week, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The rich man talked about inheriting eternal life. Jesus said, if you want treasure in heaven, now he says, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then he turns around and says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He just seems to be piling on one thing after another. I think he's driving home the point. I want people, not what they have. And I want helpless people who are dependent. Now, in light of the day and age in which we live, we sometimes here, and I think it's good to hear that we should be sharing Christ with others. And we think we're only successful in sharing Christ if someone responds to the message of Christ in a positive way. Here's an example of Christ being successful in evangelism. He shared the message, deny yourself, you know, basically take up your cross and follow me. How would this man do that? By taking his goods, selling them, giving them to the poor and come and follow me. And the man walked away. He got the point. I will not follow Jesus. Jesus was successful. So my encouragement is, as you talk to people about Christ and you share, and some of them you know, hold you at a distance and basically say no to Christ, that doesn't mean you blew it. You can faithfully share the message but still have a person reject it. It's not a reflection on you because people coming to Christ is not how great you are at sharing Christ. It's an issue of God working as we will find next week. So be faithful in sharing, but let Christ do the work. Here we have an account of an independent man who was not willing to become helplessly dependent. And he walks away from Jesus. The account that I shared at the beginning of the message about Becky, who was leading a Bible study in a college campus, or Bible studies, I should say, over a period of time, and seeking to point people to Christ. And the girl beginning to get the claims of Christ. And the girl came up to Becky and said, Becky, you know that I live with my boyfriend. We've been living together and we've been involved sexually for an extended period of time. If I'm to follow Christ, must I stop living with my boyfriend? How would you answer? Becky said to the girl, I think you know the answer already. How can you claim allegiance to Christ when you're living contrary to what Christ said in Mark 10 about a 
God designed marriage in creation. You're going two different directions. And the, Becky had shared some other scripture with her. The girl left and said, I'm not ready to do that. It was some time later when Becky was having a Bible study, this girl came in and said, I want Christ. And I want you to know I left my boyfriend and told him I had to leave because I wanted Christ. She was willing to become helplessly dependent. And as you read through the Gospels, Jesus makes some strong statements. He could not allow this man to continue to love his money and money be the primary issue in his life and claim to follow Christ. Because a man would only then be using Christ, not following him. What do you love? What do you value? Will you inherit the kingdom of God? Are you helplessly dependent? Trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Again, don't see this passage as an issue of how much you have or don't have in the day and age in which we live. It's an issue of helpless dependency. The rich man was not willing to take that step. Have you? And Lord willing, next week we'll look at the balance of the passage when he talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, you know, and a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. And Peter's saying, we have left everything, Lord. It all ties in with the whole issue of helpless dependency. And please don't assume that this is directed primarily at the rich. Abraham was a wealthy man, blessed by God, but walked with God. Isaac was a wealthy man and walked with God. Jacob was a wealthy man and walked with God. Here's a wealthy man who didn't want to walk with Christ in helpless dependency, as Abraham Isaac and Jacob were seeking to do. We think about the issue of helpless dependency. We know that we come to Christ and we trust in him and what he has done. We become part of the body of Christ. And part of living in helpless dependency day by day is to depend and rest upon others, carrying one another's burdens, praying for one another and seeking to minister to one another. And Bud said something to me before the church, before the service. He would like a little time to share some things. I'm going to give him an opportunity at this time. And I think we, most of us know, if not all of us, that he's been diagnosed with bone cancer. And um, so, Bud, 